Hey everybody, it's Kevin from Pocono Raceway here, and we're back with another episode of 50 Years of the Tricky Triangle Celebration Podcast. And this week we are joined by 2000 NASCAR Cup Series champion, Bobby Labonte. Uh, many of you guys uh, remember that epic battle with Bobby Labonte and Dale Jr. back in the 2001 Pennsylvania 500. Uh, and Bobby Labonte actually also swept here uh, back in 1999 as well for Joe Gibbs Racing. So we talked with Bobby about all that stuff and uh, much more. So we're just going to hop right into this interview with Bobby. We hope you enjoy this episode of the 50 Years of the Tricky Triangle Celebration podcast. Here's Bobby Labonte. Uh, Bobby, thank you again for making the time for this. Um, you obviously had a lot of great runs here at Pocono Raceway in your career, um, especially the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, what was your first impression of Pocono Raceway? You know, we've had a lot of guys come on the podcast and, and kind of talk about just how how much more daunting the track seemed in person the, their first time here. Um, what was your takeaway when you first laid eyes on it? Yeah, 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 exactly. And, uh, you know, I can, you know, kind of a little bit of tale of two stories. I mean, I was there many times as a mechanic, um, you know, working on my brother's car uh, for Billy Hagen. And, uh, you know, so I was, I would see it from afar, you know, from a mechanic's point of view. And um, I can tell you the first time I went there, the first year I went there, I never saw the track because it was always so foggy. So you would hear them come, you'd see them go by, and then they'd go out of sight. And then they would turn, you know what I mean? So the, it took it took a year for me to see the whole track, which I thought was like, dang it, this is what what the heck's wrong with this, right? So that was a mechanics point of view. And then <clears throat> later on, uh, 1993 was my first rookie year. So I, I landed, you know, going to all the races and uh, driving all of them. Unlike today, a truck series, Xfinity series, it was go right into Cup series. And I think I remember. At that point in time, Tim Brewer, my crew chief, said, you know, I think the lap times were like a minute or 59 seconds, 58 seconds, you know. And something about when I first went out there and come back in, my eyes were wide open. I went, did I get even close to a minute? Because it might have taken me – it took me a while to get enough nerve to get to a minute. Uh, and I, I just remember that being like, dear Lord, this is huge. You know what I mean? I – I've been to Daytona, but not a two and a half mile that took that long to get around. So it was very daunting to me to start with. And, um, you know, so anyway, that was kind of funny where, you know, breaking a minute barrier was like a huge deal. And then, you know, as time went on, um, you know, you know, in the early, uh, the mid nineties with, uh, you know, with, with Gibbs, I mean, I was still trying to, you know, I, I didn't ever feel like I got it, you know, for a while. Well, and that kind of brings me to the next question, because you got three wins here, but it wasn't until that sweep you had in 1999 that you broke into victory lane here. And really, it wasn't until the second race in 1998 before you got your first top five at this track. What was it that you felt clicked in, in 98, 99? And really that, that era between then and 2000, uh, the early 2000s, that you kind of found your way around here. You know, you became, you're, you're, only one of, you're one of only six drivers to have swept this racetrack, the others being Bobby Allison, Tim Richmond, Danny Hamlin, Jimmy Johnson. Um, you know, what was it for you that worked? Yeah. 
Well, that's a great question. And what, what had happened to me was, you know, that was just one of the tracks that I, you know, I mean, we were running good at other places and you get to Pocono, it's like, well, you're going to finish 20th. You're going to, you know, something's going to happen. You're, you're not going to be running good enough. You're not going to get a top five or top 10 out of it. Right. So anyway, we would go up there and, and uh, you know, we were obviously as a team driving for Joe Gibbs in 1995, 96, 97, you know, we're getting, we're seeing success. Uh, we're getting better, more successful. You know, we turned some corners at different tracks, you know, you know, some we hit, you know, stride right away. Some were taking us a little time. So um, I remember vividly in a 98, you'd have to help me. I don't remember where I finished in 98. Uh, that would be fourth. Yeah. And the first race wasn't. The second race was. Um, the first race was further down than that, I'm sure. 15th, I believe. Yeah. So... So that's that was the that was the deciding factor, right? We got better, fifteenth, and after that race, and I think Jeremy Mayfield won that race, uh, or he finished in the top two or three, the the first race uh, where I finished fifteenth, right? Okay, so anyway, I remember coming on the radio during the race, and I'm like, I I I think we got to do something different, and so we basically went back and watched the video of the race. And we were watching things on Jeremy's car that just like, how does he get, how does he doing that? What's, what's going on here? So my engineer, uh, Derek Jones, Jimmy Maycar, everybody, we kind of like, you know, you, you're pinpointing this. We got to come back in a month, right? And it's like, well, let's try this. Let's do this. Let's do this. So we, we tried some stuff. You know, we tried a different thought process going into it. And we came back and finished fourth, right? So basically what we did was we watched TV. Uh, we watched the broadcast. We watched the cars. We're like, how come our car looks like that? And that car looks like that. And, you know, our engineering was, you know, Derek and a handful of people, you know. And, I mean, I remember taking engines apart across on the side of the truck there because we blew up or something. You know, I mean, that's just how you did things back then. So I remember when we finished fourth, I'm like, I have no idea where the gas pumps are. Because after the races, you got to go to the gas pumps. And it's like, you know, you fill up a gas and top three or top five, you know. I'm like, I've never finished. I have no idea where the gas pumps are. Where are they at? And it's like, it just kind of clicked. I mean, we, it didn't click here as much as it clicked on the car and what we did to it to make it work. And I just remember that being like, that, that made our program different for a lot of tracks, especially Pocono. And uh, so, yeah, we, we, that was when we hit our, you know, that's when things clicked between 98, the first race and 98, the second race. I'm curious how, you know, how common that was. Obviously you're, you're always paying attention to what your competition is doing, but um, we see so much, so many drivers going back, looking at data now, and there's so, so many tools available now back in 98, you know, how common was it to go back, watch that broadcast and, and notice things from the TV screen that you may not have been able to pick up at the racetrack? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I think back then we'd watch, we'd record a race on our VCR tape. No, I'm not that far back. <laughs> we'd record a race and you'd watch it more for maybe entertainment purposes or, you know, what did so-and-so do? What did this do? I mean, I spent a lot of time with Jimmy and Derek and everybody there. We'd talk about the race. Like you'd rerun it in your head and you're through conversation. And, you know, that was even before like Dartfish came out and, you know, for qualifying and, 
I mean, you just basically just watch it. I mean, you you know, and you pause it, look at it, fast pause it, look at it. That's just kind of how we did it. I mean, the toolbox is way bigger now than it was then. And, um, but you know, we, that's just like anything else. We, we started looking at something and we started looking at it more and then we started looking at it more and we, you know, progressed from there with engineering and, and, uh, studying stuff that we did, you know, we might not have studied in 1995. And I mean, I remember looking at my cars going, I can't, you could throw a base, a basketball underneath the front of it, you know, and nowadays you can't put a, a thumb needle under the front of it. So um yeah so a lot a lot has changed but back then that's just kind of how we keyed upon a, a a good run but it's by me watching what jeremy was doing i'm like i'm watching the car myself i'm like hey his car is different than mine I, I, how do we do that that's interesting and then and then moving fast forward a couple of years later um you know we this is very well documented about how big of a win this was jeff gordon was basically dominating in 2001 um Destroying the field, I think it led 121 laps at one point, but his fuel mileage wasn't that great. And uh, Earnhardt Jr. was out in the front, and you just came out like a bat out of hell uh, with yeah. 10 to go and, uh, and and passed him for the win. So let's recall that 2001 race because I know it's one of your favorites. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, I can definitely recollect more on the end of it than probably throughout the day. It's a lot of stuff happened we had ourselves in position and you know we were you know we were running pretty good and um i mean when it came down the end and it was earnhardt jr i mean it was just like one of those things where you're like okay i knew where he was pretty good um i felt like we were better and more so on the outside um we were definitely faster he was on a little bit of a lighter fuel saving mode than I was, you know, so he was having to be a little bit more careful. So catching him probably became a little bit easier. I mean, he might not have been running 90%, but he might've had to back off 5%, right? So, you know, charging him down, you know, was not that hard, but, you know, obviously when you get to him and you try to pass him and that became more difficult and, uh, you know, tried him a couple times and, uh, you know, I thought I could make a move work and I was always keeping track of how much, how many laps we had left and, and time and all that stuff. And, you know, I, I, you know, you know, try to make a move here on the outside off of three, you know, might not have made it stick, you know, finally, finally had a runoff of turn one on him and he'd come up the racetrack and he blocked. And I mean, the, the bumper cam is kind of one of those cameras that for that day was the right camera to have to watch that race from for me because I was just all over his back bumper, you know, and, you know, he wanted to block low and I just sailed it in on the outside through the tunnel turn and it stuck, you know, and it was basically when I, when I exited the tunnel turn, it was, it was five car lengths back, you know, I mean, it was just like, I mean, I just definitely knocked all this, <laughs> all the, the wind out of his sail and, I had talked to him just recently about it on his podcast and he was, we were laughing about it. He said, man, I didn't know you were ever going to make that. And I said, well, I didn't either, but I had to try. So anyway, making that move and then, and, you know, beating him and, you know, after winning a couple years prior to that, you know, two or three years prior to that and winning that race, coming back, coming back to win it because I kind of lost a little bit. We didn't have quite the setup that we needed um, going forward, but, 
that was, you know, that race there just meant a lot to me because, you know, the way we, we were able to win it and, you know, you remember the ones you win, you don't really remember, well, actually you do remember the ones you lose, but you remember the ones you win more because you have more fun, but just the way that it turned out having a racing there at the end and the, and the battle and all that stuff and that rear bumper cam just kind of tells the tale. And, you know, when I sent it off in the tunnel turn, I mean, I mean, I don't know that I could have qualified any faster than that, you know? And uh, he, I think it just surprised him. He was like, I'm done, you know? So uh, yeah, I mean, it worked, you know what I mean? And that's, that was what was so cool about it. And, you know, just the fact that it was him and, you know, we, we just raced hard. We, you know, never basically touched other than, you know, probably rubbing some paint off the, the front rear bumper. And we talk a little bit about that. I want to get into legacy and, and families. Obviously, uh, Pocono Raceway has been family owned for 50 years by the Mattiolis. Um, it's staple in motorsports. We have the Labanis, the Earnhardts. We've been talking about them through this entire chat here. Um, 50 years, Pocono Raceway, since their first race in 1971, which is the USAC IndyCar race. Um, you know, it's, it's been a longstanding tradition in the Northeast to have motorsports here. Cup cars started here in 74. Um, so what is the significance of the Mattioli family and what they've, you know, kind of done for motorsports, especially in the Northeast part of the country? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I could say, you know, obviously, uh, the vision back in the day to build a track and that's a huge facility that was like, oh, by the way, here's a two and a half mile oval. That's not Daytona Talladega. We're not going to run restrictor plates and we're going to run Indy cars and stock cars on it. And, you know, I just, I think about it and I go, wow, you know, that, that's, that's pretty cool that they came up, they had that vision. Um, they built it back that many years ago and made that work. And I think for me personally, you know, we all, I think at one time, all the drivers had like fan clubs, you know, and uh, prior to social media. And, you know, you'd have a fan club, you'd send a mail mailing out to the people, right? And I always remember that we had, um, we had always had more fans from the state of Pennsylvania than any other state. So, you know, we would, you know, send these letters out and, you know, t-shirts or whatever, ink pens and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we'd always have more fans in Pennsylvania. So I think about not just Pocono, but just the Nazareth track and the tracks surrounding and all the short tracks, all the little dirt tracks around for sprint cars and uh, UMP modified, say, for instance, I might not be wrong on that. But, you know, when you think about all the racing around there and I think about even guys I talked to today, where y'all headed? They're, they're going to Pennsylvania to race, you know, uh, their, their sprint car. And so, you know, I think of Pocono, you know, being obviously the, the hotbed and when the modifies were racing and on those on the shorter track. And, you know, you think about, you know, people that live in that area, that's their Daytona. That's their big event. That's their marquee event. So when you think about family and you think about the Mattiolis that, you know, put that together and, and made it, um, you know, and, and made it what it is. And it's it still is. And that's what's so cool. That's 50 years. But, you know, when you it's hard, to, it's hard to stay current. It's hard to stay. You know, uh, you know, stay after it after that many years, and and that's where the family and you know their de dedication and all that, and you know, has come through that. Even my kids race at the little quarter midget across the, the way. So um, yeah, a lot of cool times at Pocono, uh, and also you know just the fact that you know that facility is, you know, I mean it could have had a three quarter mile right, but instead it's a two and a half mile. That to me that's just like, why'd y'all do that? But 
it's obviously worked and it's, you know, one of those places that, you know, I didn't like to start with, but I ended up, I liked it, you know, before too long. I think we've taken up plenty of your time today. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I appreciate you uh, uh, going through and, and, and pulling that stuff out of your memory bank um, and, and all the success you here had here, had here. Uh, for all the stuff you did for our fans. Obviously, you did a lot for our fans, and that, that obviously held true with all the fans you had in Pennsylvania. So thanks for your time, and uh, appreciate everything you've done for us. Yeah, no problem. I, I always enjoyed the Airstream Circle. Uh, a few years ago, they had the Airstreams out there. We went, always went out there and talked to them. thought that was pretty cool. Uh, some, so some great memories there. And, uh, you know, not just winning races, but, I mean, just one of those places when you get there, you just, like, you breathe fresh air, you know. And uh, so – uh, always an enjoyment to go to. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm glad to see that you're going to be at 100% capacity. So excited to see that. And, you know, can't wait to watch it on TV and talk about it here in the week for, for race day. Hopefully it'll give you a lot to talk about with five races in four days. So, uh, or three days. Yeah. So hopefully, uh, you get to enjoy it while you're watching from your TV screen and hopefully all the fans that are in attendance are going to enjoy it. Like I said, hundred percent capacity. So thanks again, Bobby, for everything. Appreciate it. Sure. Thank you guys. Thanks, Bob.